To start today's message, I want to give you a question to uh, think about. How do you feel when you are interrupted? And in particular, a little bit of a survey, how many of you are people who would say, when you make plans, you like to have those plans carried out the way that you've organised them? Come on, be honest now, yes, probably about half. So how many of you are people who say, no, it doesn't matter, just go with the flow, everything's fine, it's all good? Yes, I know there are some of you, So, which is really great. Good for you, I'm glad that you're wired that way. As many of you know, I'm not. Um, I have actually been mocked a fair bit over the years by different people about uh, my planning when we go away on holidays. And so this is not specifically when we go down to like Port Elliot for a week just to hang out, but when we've gone on like some big road trips, when we went to Uluru last year, uh, when we went to Chicago, when we went to New York, uh, when we lived in Canada, um, I want to make sure that they're well planned. And most of that is just about making sure that we don't miss out on all the things that we want to be able to see and that we've allowed enough time to be able to get to everywhere. But the challenge is when unforeseen things come up which happens when you're away on holidays, things don't go exactly according to plan, Uh, that can be a really, really big challenge for those of us who like to have things organised and like to have our plans followed through. And uh, I hope that if you asked Ali, she would say that I've gotten better at handling those interruptions over the years, especially early on. It's like, this is the plan, we've got to stick to the plan. And if that doesn't happen, that's very frustrating. Now I'm probably a little bit more chilled and mellow around that. Um, But... When, you're in, when your plans are interrupted, it can be a really, really difficult challenge, especially for some of us. And so that's the point of this new series that we're starting today, which is called Interrupted, is that we want to have a look at some key characters throughout Scripture who had some very significant interruptions that happened in their lives, some things that happened, some events that unfolded that really took them away from what they thought life was going to be all about and the direction in which things were heading, or some specific incidents that happened where people were doing one thing and then all of a sudden they needed to change tack. And so today we're going to start with Daniel. And so inside of Caring Connection, as always, you have your teaching notes. And so if it's helpful for you to jot things down as we go through, uh, feel free to do that, that you can then continue to reflect on throughout the week. So background on Daniel, we're going to go right back to the very beginning. And uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks, that the Bible is 66 individual books that are all sorts of different types of literature. But we believe that throughout that big, uh, all of those books is one big story, a meta-narrative that unfolds. And we talked about how the beginning of that story is God designing us, creating us to live in a complete relationship with him and with each other and with the creation that he had made. That's where things start out. But from the very beginning, God also gives us the ability to choose, the ability to say we're going to follow God's best or that we're going to make our own choices and go the way that we feel like going instead. And humanity has had a habit from the very beginning of saying thanks but no thanks to God and walking away from what God's best is. But God didn't give up on us just because we chose to walk away from him. Instead, he chose a man named Abraham and his family to become a group of people that he could walk with really closely to help them try and understand what this original design was and what it looks like to live in a healthy relationship with God and with each other and with the creation around them. And so this group of people is called the Israelites, and that's who we read about all the way through the Old Testament. God walking with this group of people to try and help them to be able to understand the way, how to live the way that we were created to. 
So uh, they end up, these people, making their own choices and they end up in slavery in Egypt and then they're rescued from that through uh, Moses going through the Red Sea and that amazing scene where Charlton Heston leads them out and it's all (laughs) amazing and great and spectacular and uh, then they get lost in the wilderness for a while and then they end up in this promised land called Canaan. And then because they make some of their own choices and they walk away from God's best again, things kind of fall apart. But one of the key characters in the Old Testament is this guy named David, a key king who manages to unite all of the Israelites back together once again. And so for a while, everyone is living the way that God wanted them to, with Jerusalem as the political and spiritual heart of the nation, this crucial city that was really, really important to the Israelite people. David passes away and Solomon becomes king. And when Solomon passes away, Again, people decide to make their own choices and walk away from God's best. And so the kingdom is split back into two, Judah and Israel. And uh, Jerusalem continues to be the capital for Israel. But in 539 BC, the Babylonians come, this massively powerful empire comes in and they capture Jerusalem, which is devastating, obviously, for the Israelite people. So the Babylonians are now in power and they take a bunch of the Israelites who were living in Jerusalem back to Babylon. And that is where we find Daniel. So along with a whole bunch of other people and particularly three of his closest friends, Daniel is picked up and transported from this place that is the heart of his nation and the spiritual heart of his nation. Everything that's important is there and he's uprooted and taken to this other place, taken away to Babylon. And there's a huge challenge there. Imagine for yourself how it would feel if this week some massive big empire came and took over Adelaide. They just came in, military force, took over Adelaide, and a bunch of us were then taken from here and taken to a whole other country, to another city with a completely different culture, completely different set of beliefs. How would you feel? How would you respond if you're then just uprooted and taken somewhere else? How much do you hold on to your traditions? How much do you hold on to the things that are really, really important to you? How much do you choose to blend in and say, well, this is where we are now, and so I'm going to try and fit in and make the best of it? That's what the book of Daniel is all about. Is Daniel and his three friends trying to work through what it looks like for them to make choices about whether they're going to stay faithful to God and to the faith that they've got or whether they're going to compromise and go with the flow of the culture around them. And in particular, a key question that we see throughout the book of Daniel is a question around lordship or we could say it another way, a question around kingship saying, who is the person that you choose to serve? Who is number one in your life? And for them, it wasn't just a theoretical question. This was a genuine question about life or death. Will you choose to stay faithful to God as your king, or will you choose to submit to another king based on the culture around you? And that's a question that all of us are faced with at different times in our lives, particularly when interruptions come. This question for us to wrestle with, to say, what's the most important thing in my life? How do I choose Jesus over everything else, particularly when I'm confronted with something that's challenging and that might have an impact on me? And so in Daniel chapter 1, 
We see that Daniel and his friends in this new city find favour with the king in this new country, a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. And so that I don't have to say his name over and over again, we're going to call him Nebi for today because we're Australians and we shorten everything. So Nebi uh, finds these guys to be really, really amazing. He's really impressed with their faithfulness and their work ethic. And so uh, in particular, he discovers that Daniel has this ability that God has given him to be able to interpret dreams. And so Daniel interprets a dream that King Nebi has, and uh, out of that, the king acknowledges that God is the God of the universe, which is a massively big thing for a Babylonian king to say, no, actually, God is more important than I am. It's really, really incredible. And so Daniel and his friends are then put into these positions of significant leadership in Babylon. But that doesn't last long because Nebi decides that actually I am the most important thing here and so I'm going to build a really massive statue to myself and have everyone bow down in front of that. And so he builds this huge statue and he says that everyone's got to bow down and worship this statue and say the king is the most important thing in my life. And so we have this amazing story where Daniel's friends are confronted with that and they're challenged about whether they will bow down and worship the king or whether they will stay faithful and say, no, sorry, God's actually the king of my life. God's the most important. And because of that, they get thrown in this fiery furnace, this amazing hot place where they're expected to burn up, but they don't. Miraculously, they're kept safe, and so they come out of it. And so Nebi says, wow, your God's really amazing. He's the most important thing in the entire world, and so I'm going to worship your God because he's really, really great. Nebi then has another dream, and so Daniel then comes along and he interprets it again. But this time, it's not really good news for the king because the interpretation of the dream is simply this. You're going to go crazy. So, sorry, Nebi, you are going to go crazy like a wild animal. And sure enough, that's what happens. He goes mad, and for seven years, he's prowling around like a crazy person, like a wild, crazed animal. And uh, after the seven years is over, his sanity returns, And so Nebi again says, wow, Daniel, your God is really, really powerful because he was able to tell me this is what was going to happen. And so once again, he acknowledges God as the most powerful entity in the universe. In chapter 5, we then fast forward a little bit and Nebi has passed away and his son Belshazzar has taken over as king. And I thought about shortening his name to King Belly, but I thought that's probably not okay, so we won't do that. So we'll just call him the king. And he has this really freaky experience where he sees a hand writing on the wall, which is kind of freaky. They're having this lovely feast, having a nice time together, and all of a sudden this hand just shows up and starts writing on the wall. And so Belshazzar's mum pipes up and says, there's this guy, Daniel. He's really good at interpreting things, so get him in and he'll be able to tell us what is being written on the wall. And so Daniel comes and again delivers some pretty bad news where he says that his time is up because he has been so focused on his ego and accumulation of wealth and accumulation of possessions. And so sure enough, that night, Belshazzar is assassinated. Then King Darius takes over. And so that's where we pick up the story that we're looking at today. He becomes the king. And Darius then gives Daniel another promotion. He sees that Daniel is really, really impressive, and so he promotes him and basically puts him in charge of the whole Babylonian empire. So they've got all of these people, and Daniel's in charge of every single one of them. But lots of people aren't too thrilled about that 
as you can imagine. Who is this guy who has come from somewhere else and has ended up being in the position where he's the one who's telling us what to do? The Babylonians, in particular, weren't very happy about this, and so they looked for anything that they could do to tear Daniel down. And so they come up with this plan, and they go to the king, and they say, for 30 days, everyone is going to have to bow down and worship King Darius, and no one else. And if they don't do that, then they're going to be thrown into this special pit that they've got, which is filled with lions. And they do this because they know that Daniel is going to be put in this really challenging position where he has to make a decision about who is the most important in his life. Is he going to continue to serve God or is he going to compromise and say, nope, I'll just bow down to King Darius and it'll be fine. And so Daniel does what he has always done, what has been his practice. He goes to his window and he takes some time to pray. And you can imagine that this would have been a really significant, really special place for Daniel, this place where he can look out over the city. And you can imagine that over the years, as he's been given all of these opportunities, been given all of this responsibility, that he would have looked out at the city and said, God, I'm praying for all of these people that I'm responsible for. What are you up to? He would have had these really significant moments where he could see out over the city and pray into that. But it was also a statement for him where he knew that when he was in front of his window, anyone else could see him as well. And so three times a day, this is where Daniel would go as an opportunity to be able to refocus and to be able to say, God, you're the most important thing in my life. What are you up to? What are you doing? And how do I follow you and serve you in this land in which I have ended up? And so Daniel's enemies see him doing exactly this. They see him praying, and so, with quite a bit of joy, they go to the king and they tell him, Daniel has breached this law that you put into place. And so the king is left with no choice but to follow through because this is a law that he's enacted and he wasn't even allowed to undo his own laws. And so, with great sadness, even though he tries everything that he can to undo it, He ends up saying, I've got to follow through and Daniel's got to be thrown into the pit of lions. So, how would you be feeling if this was you? If you're Daniel at this point, what would you be thinking? What would you be working through? You've done everything that God has asked you to do. You have served faithfully for your whole life. Every time that you've been given any kind of opportunity... You've just done what God has asked you to do. Even Daniel's enemies knew that they couldn't fault him. And so you know that you're completely innocent in every way. You've never done anything wrong. You've never done anything to hurt anybody else. You've just completely done what God's asked you to do. And even more than that, you know that you've been doing this in a culture that's designed to drag you away from God's best. You've done this in a place where everything around you is designed to distract you, to entice you, to make you think about anything else except for the God that you love and that you serve. And yet you have stayed faithful. You've continued to make choice after choice after choice and continued to put God further, uh, continue to put God first. You've been promoted. You've been promoted again, you've been promoted again. Everything seems to be going so well. You can sense that God's hand has been on you as you've been living your life and living this faithfulness out. 
You're in this incredible position of influence where you're basically running the whole country at this point. But now this interruption suddenly kicks in, something that knocks you off course. And so what do you think? Do you make an assumption that God's going to change the king's mind? Somehow, some way, this is going to work out. There's no way that after all of this, God could possibly end up throwing me into a pit of lions. Is there? Surely the king's going to change his mind. Surely there's some loophole that he's going to be able to find some way around this. Surely. Maybe you think to yourself, actually, this is only for 30 days. I'm not actually being asked to give up my faith altogether. So maybe just for a month, I can tone things down. I won't go to the window anymore. I'll just kind of do this in secret and I won't tell anyone. And when I'm out in public, I'll look like I'm worshipping the king, but I know in my heart that I'm not doing that. It's only a month. Maybe I'll just compromise a little bit. Is that a big deal? What would you do if you were Daniel in this position and the whole direction of your life has reached this pivot point because of this interruption? Do you compromise? Do you continue to stay faithful? What's the choice that you would make? Well, we know that Daniel doesn't compromise. He doesn't bow down before the king. And so because of that, he is thrown into this massive pit of lions. The stone is rolled over the entrance to that and night begins. So again, put yourself into Daniel's shoes. You thought there's got to be some way this is going to work out okay, but now you're in the darkness and you can hear these lions prowling around you. What would you be thinking at this point? Did I make the right choices? Should I have done something else? Is this really what God's best is for my life? We know, of course, that it all works out great. In the morning, the king rushes to the entrance, the stone gets pulled away, and he sees that Daniel has survived, and everything's really great. And so King Darius then bows down before God and says, God is the king of the universe, and everyone should worship him. So this is a really, really amazing story that's very, very familiar to a lot of us, and it's a story that we're often taught as kids. It's what our God's Gang kids are talking about out in God's Gang today. And we always talk about how this is an opportunity for us to think about making the right choices, even when things are hard. But there's also this great challenge for us in the midst of this, about how we deal with the interruptions in our lives. And so as we head into this week, this is the question that I'd like us to take some time to reflect on. What interruptions have the potential to drag me away from God's best? What interruptions have the potential to drag me away from what God's best is for my life? We're very fortunate that most of us are never going to have to wrestle with this question in terms of whether we choose to live or die. We do know that there are other people around the world today who are facing that exact question. There are people who, by making a choice to follow Jesus, are making a choice to say, my life is on the line for this. And we're very fortunate that we are not in a situation where most of us are going to have to wrestle with that question. But we do have other scenarios in our lives where we have these interruptions and where the questions still come. For some of us, it's simply the challenge about what it looks like to stay faithful to God and to listen to God in a culture that has so much noise and so much distraction that can so easily pull us away from God. And this is from the moment that we get up. 
So most of us in the morning when we get up would instantly turn the radio on. We might even listen to the radio as we're waking up. Or we get up and we turn the TV on. Or we get up and we check our phone and we check email or we check our Facebook feeds or we turn the computer on and check our email or check the news. There's so much noise from the minute that we wake up. It's so easy to allow those things to interrupt the flow of our thoughts about God even from when we start our day. So what does it look like for us to push back against those interruptions and to say, God, you're number one in my life and so I want to start my day by focusing on you. Before any of the other noise can kick in, that's a part of our culture, how do I focus on you? Throughout our day then, we've got all of these other interruptions that kick in as well, whether that's someone who kick, uh, cuts in front of us in traffic, whether that's someone who cuts in front of us in the line at the shops, whether that is just the noise that's around us, whether that's the phone call that comes out of nowhere, whether that's someone knocking on our door, there's all of these interruptions that happen in our lives consistently. And so how do we make choices to be able to continue to hear what God has got to say? For some of us, we're confronted with what it looks like for us to stay faithful in our workplace or at school or at uni. To be able to say when opportunities come our way or promotions come our way, how do we make decisions about what it looks like to stay faithful to God? In particular, what if those opportunities mean that we need to make some choices about compromising our beliefs? Or what if those choices then make a difference to the priorities that we can set in our lives? What if it means that we're making choices that drag us away from God's best? How do we respond when our work or our school is dragging us away from what God has for us? And as we zoom out even further, we're just challenged with the interruptions that come from wrestling with what our priorities and our perspectives are, about the ways in which we spend our money, about the ways in which we spend our time, about the things that are most important to us. There's so many interruptions that can kick in and distract us from God's best, so many things that want to take number one place in our lives. So how do we stay faithful to what God has got for us? So what are the interruptions that I know in my life as I think ahead to this week? Is there anything that comes to mind for me that I know has the potential to be an interruption that's going to knock me off course, is going to divert me from what I know God wants me to be focusing on? What we see in the life of Daniel and his friends is that responding to these sorts of interruptions is not something that's easy to do in the moment. They were able to make the decisions that they made because of the habits that they practiced in the normal times. It wasn't that all of a sudden, oh, I'm about to get thrown into a fiery furnace. Oh, I'm about to get thrown into a pit of lions. I wonder how I juggle my priorities now. I wonder how I make good decisions in this moment. It was because they cultivated habits that are formed by faithfulness over and over and over again. Every day, making the choices to say, what does it look like to stay faithful to God? And then when the interruptions came, they were able to make the decisions that helped them to move the way that God wanted them to move. And we also see through their story that the way that we respond to these interruptions is not just about us. But in actual fact, it can have a huge impact on the people around us. We see in the lives of Daniel and his friends that responding the way that they did changed the whole perspectives of kings even. 
And so the way in which we respond to these interruptions is not just about us, but it's also about us thinking about how that can impact the people around us. When we choose to say, I'm going to choose God as the most important thing in my life over all of these other things, it then challenges people around us to say, when things go wrong for me, where do I turn? Where's my foundation? What's the thing that I hold on to when life gets really, really tough? How do I prioritise the things that are most important in my life? So as we wrap up and get ready to transition into communion, I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can continue to feel challenged about what it looks like for us to stay faithful to Jesus in our culture, a culture that, like Babylon, is designed to drag us away from God's best. There's so many distractions. And so I'm going to pray that God would help us to be able to stay faithful and to hear him But even more than that, that in those moments where we have these interruptions, these things that knock us off course, that we can make the choices that God wants us to be able to make so that we can stay faithful to him and end up where he wants us to go. So let's pray. God, we thank you that scripture is filled with these amazing women and men who continue to stay faithful to you, even in the most difficult of circumstances. We thank you for people like Daniel and his friends who give us a model for what it looks like to continue to stay faithful to you in a culture that isn't necessarily the one that's the best one that we would hope to be able to live in. It's such an encouragement for us as we live in our Australian culture where we're challenged about what it means to stay faithful to you. It's great to have people like these that we can follow and that we can learn from. And we thank you for the way that they stayed faithful even in the most difficult of circumstances. We thank you for their perseverance and their trust in you to be able to say, even if this means that my life ends, I choose you. It's truly remarkable. And I feel challenged about how much I make you the number one priority in my life, how much I make you the king in my life, and how much at times I let other things kick in and take that number one position. And so as we head into this week, I pray that you would just continue to encourage us and inspire us, but to challenge us as well about those moments where we just subtly start to compromise, those moments where we just subtly start to say, well, that's not that big a deal, and where because of that we miss out on what your best is. In those moments, and even as we're sitting here now, as we think about potential scenarios that will unfold this week, We pray that you would help us to make the decisions that we know you want us to make. Thank you that we don't do all of that because we have to earn your love, we have to earn your favour, and if we mess up, then you're going to turn your back on us. But you want us to make those decisions because you created us to live in a healthy relationship with you and with each other. And the best way for us to live is the way that you created us to live. And so as we head into this week, help us to identify those interruptions, help us to identify those potential scenarios where we'll walk away from what that best is and instead be able to make the choices that we know that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.